We are going through a series called The Heart of Christ. We're, we've been working alongside Dane Ortland's book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, if you're here this morning and maybe you haven't been here throughout this series, there are more copies of that book uh, back on the counter out there. I invite you to take one of those. Those are free of charge. If we run out, I have more boxes in my office, so just let me know and I can grab you one of those. Those are our gift to you this morning. Uh, Christ describes his heart as this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, 29, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How far was Christ's heart willing to go for sinners and sufferers? For us, our supplies often run out. I was driving the other day and I heard this little ding. And I saw a light come on in my dash. Guess what had happened? I'm getting low on gas. I decided I probably should go get gas. But I wanted to wait. Because I wasn't quite near a gas station, so I couldn't just stop. So I drove and I went and got gas. I started getting nervous. You ever start that? You start getting nervous because you're like, now this came on a little while ago. I sure hope I got enough to get me where I'm trying to get to here. So our, our supplies often run out. Something that is never-ending or is unlimited is hard for us to imagine. I think going through the last two years, remember when we first started going through the pandemic, you couldn't find toilet paper anywhere, you couldn't find hand sanitizer anywhere, you couldn't find disinfectant wipes anywhere, they're all in the back of a truck somewhere in Arkansas or something, I don't know. You couldn't find these things. Even now, some of the supply is not what it used to be. It's not as available as it once was. Even for ourselves in our own lives, we have phrases like, I've reached the end of my rope. We often wear down and tire out. Our stamina and patience and love can be worn thin with others. Sometimes we take our responses, the responses we have towards others, and we assume or we reflect those onto Christ, thinking that maybe his compassion is unlimited, rather is limited, or his grace is limited, or his mercy is limited, or his love is is limited when that is not the fact at all. We think though sometimes if we cross him or if we let him down or if we fail one more time, that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But as we've gone through this book, we've seen that that is not what Christ heart is for us at all. His heart is gentle and lowly towards those who believe in his name, to those who accept his gift of salvation. 
The great news of the gospel is Christ's heart does not depend on our successes or our failures. The extent of his heart was demonstrated to us on the cross of Calvary. Sometimes we view his heart as a limited resource that somehow his abounding surplus could run out because of our deficiencies. Dane Ortland in his book says this, In the gospel we are free to receive the comforts that are due us. Don't turn them off. Open the vent of your heart to the love of Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. Our lawish hearts relax as his lavish heart comes home to us. This morning we're talking about the extent of Christ's heart, the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and what that teaches us about the extent of his heart. The first thing it teaches us is about the extent of his love. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Near the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, we're just going to be reading a couple of verses starting in verse 9. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This verse probably sounds familiar because John wrote something like this in the book of John, the gospel of John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Here, John writes in 1 John 4, 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ's love was demonstrated in his actions on the cross. We know that he loves us because he was willing to lay down his life for us. Paul emphasized this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. He says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for us to get better before he sent his son. God did not ask us to clean up our own act before he sent his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One author said this, The cross of Christ leaves no room for doubt about God's love for us. At our worst, 
God gave us his best, Jesus Christ, his son. God, in his love, sent his son to do all that was needed to be done for us. To bring us into a restored relationship with him. In the Gospel of John, John chapter 13, Jesus is speaking in the upper room. Many entitle it the upper room discourse. It's after he's had the Passover meal with his disciples. He's giving them some instructions. The high priestly prayer of Jesus is there where he prays for his disciples. John chapter 13 says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What was that end? The end was the cross of Calvary. He loved them through the sacrifice. He loved them in the midst of obeying the Father's will. He loved his own until the end. Christ didn't go halfway to bring us to God. He didn't demonstrate his love to us up until a certain point. He was willing to lay down his life and demonstrate until the end the magnificence of his love. I would wager to say that love did not have its best definition until Christ died on the cross. Until Jesus Christ laid down his life. Dane Ortland comments saying this. In Christ's death, God is confronting our dark thoughts of him and our chronic insistence that divine love must have an end point. Or it must have a limit or a point at which it finally runs dry. Christ died to confound our intuitive assumptions that divine love has an expiration date. He died to prove that God's love, as Jonathan Edwards put it, an ocean without shores or bottom. His love is extravagant and never-ending. It's poured out for us through Jesus Christ. It shows us that he would go to any lengths To bring his people back to the Father. And the length that he has gone can never be surpassed. The love that was demonstrated. The perfect love. Dane says this, not only is your future secure on the basis of his death, your present is secure, proven in his heart. He will love you to the end because he cannot bear to do otherwise. He cannot bear to do otherwise. That means because Christ is risen from the dead, He is going to love you through to the end. 
If you're a Christian, when is the end? Eternity. He'll still be loving you then. The extent of God's love in Christ was so great that with its power it brought Jesus Christ back from the grave. Christ is risen. The second thing it teaches us, the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection teaches us the extent of his forgiveness. The extent of his forgiveness. If you have your Bibles open, turn back to the book of Romans. Back the other direction in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 4. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We looked at that verse just a minute ago. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul writes, emphasizes throughout this, did you see how he repeated himself? He says, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, verse 10, while we were enemies, what is Paul saying? The gap between us and God, the expanse was great. There was no man-made anything that was going to bridge it. But Paul writes, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I think for us, we want to try to do things. We are in a culture that is about doing. Many times if, if you're talking to somebody and maybe you've just met them, they'll ask, what do you do for a living? It becomes part of our identity. And so when we hear that there is a gap between us and God, we want to do something to fill that gap, to bridge that gap. But it's not about what we can do, it's about what he has done. 
Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's offered to us. There's nothing we have done or can do to earn it. It's a choice we have to make to accept his forgiveness. But it comes according to the riches of his grace. In his book, he writes this. He didn't simply leave heaven for me. He endured hell for me. He, not deserving to be condemned, absorbed it in my place. I, who alone deserved it, that is Christ's heart. See, Christ's forgiveness, the extent of his forgiveness is exemplified through his death on the cross. He paid the full punishment for our sins so that we could receive the lavish gift of His righteousness. His forgiveness is full and complete even when our hearts are rebellious and defiant. The Bible tells us that God calls us to come to Him for forgiveness, even as Christians. The Holy Spirit is working in us and through us to make us more like Christ, to make us more without sin. But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to still fall and sin sometimes. And so God calls us to come to Him and ask for, confess our sins, to repent of what we've done. The Bible tells us that He is faithful and just and He will cleanse us from all the wrong things we have done. And as a Christian, Ortland makes this comment, a Christian conscience is a sensitized conscience. Now that we know God as Father, now that our eyes have been opened to our treasonous rebellion against our Creator, we feel more deeply than ever the ugliness of sin. That means on a daily basis. As we're going through our lives, the Holy Spirit convicts us of things. We feel that weight of the ugliness of sin upon ourselves. The final final thing the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection teaches us is the extent of His kindness in grace. The extent of his kindness in grace. Flip over a couple of books to the book of Ephesians. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Says this, but God... As we're 
but there. So you have to go back up and you have to go, why, why is he saying this? Well, he said in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the bad news. Paul gives us the bad news in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. But then there's the wonderful, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, which is what he just said in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and sealed us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Paul is opening up the curtain to allow us to see a piece of what God was revealing to him, to the, the early church for the period after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Guess what? That started through salvation. It continues on into eternity. The immeasurable riches of his grace. I feel Paul just using these words that he, he can just, the biggest words he possibly can. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The lavish amount. The unprecedented amount. Immeasurable, unfathomable. Amount of His grace that is being displayed in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ortland comments and says this, God made the world so that His son, Son's heart had an outlet. Picture a dammed up river, pent up, engorged, ready to burst forth. That is the kindness in the heart of Christ. Just ready to flow out, ready to flood into our hearts. I love the wording in Ephesians 2 verse 6 there where he says, And he raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. A place we had no right to be in. And yet through Jesus Christ, God looks at the Christian and sees Jesus' righteousness because all of our sinfulness was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. So we are put in a position, seated next to Christ. So that the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness can be shown to all. 
He goes on to say this, the very point of heaven and eternity is to enjoy his grace in kindness. And if the point of heaven is to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, then we are safe because the one thing we fear will keep us out, our sin can only heighten the spectacle of God's grace and kindness. Because his grace is sufficient. No matter how much you have sinned, if you go to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness, Jesus Christ's death covered that. He died for that. God's grace and kindness, his forgiveness was in full display as Jesus went to the cross as he was buried, as he was raised back to life. Matthew describes Jesus' resurrection, Matthew chapter 28. It says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The fact that Jesus Christ has risen puts the exclamation point on God's grace. On God's forgiveness for us. That triumphant exclamation transforms weeping and mourning into celebration and excitement. Because the disciples were sorrowful because he had died. At this point, all hope was lost. We read this morning even about Peter and he didn't believe and he ran. The Gospel of John tells us that John outran Peter. And then Peter got there and they both looked inside and the grave was empty. The exclamation point of God's mighty power through Christ's resurrection. The fact that God raised Christ from the dead. That power is what offers us new life as well. Paul writes this in 1 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. There's a story I read this week of a little boy. Little boy and his dad were driving down the, the road and they had their windows down and all of a sudden the little boy noticed a bee had flown into the car, and the little boy was highly allergic to bee stings. The boy started to get excited and freak out about what was going on, and really scared. But in an instant, the father reached over and grabbed the bee. And then he let it go. And the boy began to freak out again because the bee started to fly away. But it was then that he looked at his father's hand. 
The stinger was in his hand. He could see where his father had been stung. The bee was no longer a threat. Like that father, Jesus Christ has removed the sting and the power of death and sin. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, we have the power to have victory over sin. This morning, maybe you have not ever had the opportunity to accept God's love and forgiveness. The extent of His grace and kindness immeasurably poured out to you. If you haven't ever accepted the work Jesus Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. I invite everyone to just bow your heads this morning. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never accepted the free gift of Jesus' death, his payment for your sinfulness, the wrong things that you've done. You could pray a simple prayer, simply say, God, I confess that I am a sinner I repent of my sins and I understand that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I accept Jesus' payment for my sin and that he wants to come in and rule my life. I ask that Jesus would lead my life. He would be Lord over my life forever. in Jesus' name and power that he offers that forgiveness of sin. The power that raised Jesus Christ to life is the same power we're offered to raise us up to life as well. I can have your eyes back up here. Christians, you were offered victory. The extent of God's love through Jesus Christ is not limited by anything you have done or will do. His love is immeasurably more And it cannot be earned or achieved. It is simply offered. So Christ's heart lavishly abounds with love, forgiveness, and kindness and grace. And it's his heart that we are given that we can have victory Father, we 
thank you this morning for the power of your love, grace, and mercy poured out for us through Jesus Christ's resurrection. Father, we celebrate today that Jesus lives. His life continues. And He has offered to be working in us and through us if we just surrender our lives to Him. Father, I pray that you would help all of us as that surrender is a daily battle of turning our lives over to you to rule and reign, to give us direction, to give us purpose. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in and through us through that power that you showed through your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.